Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. We're in a series this morning called Choose Life, and uh, we're week four. And we've been talking about the power of our choices and that this is one of our most godlike characteristics that he gave us. The Bible says we were created in the image of God, but that means a lot of things. But one of the things it means is that we have certain God-like characteristics. We, of all the things that were created, we are most like God, most created in the image of God. And one of those things uh, that we do, uh, one of those things that we have, the ability that we have is to choose. It's a very powerful choice. It literally, cre- it literally creates our worlds. So when you make a choice, for example... Uh, most of us in here, let's just talking about kind of the average person in here. Maybe you chose who you were going to marry, right? And that created your world. You chose whether or not to have children. You chose what career, where you're going to go to college, what city you were going to live in. You've literally created your world through choices. Well, God, God's a creator. That's what he did. He created. And he gave us that ability. And it's a It's a huge responsibility that carries massive consequences. I mean, you can choose to literally run your life into the ground with your choices, or you can choose to follow God's path and make good choices that lead to good in your life. And so we've been talking on that for several weeks, and uh, I want to just give you a, a, a quick reminder before we go into this series. This is one of those series that is... It causes us to focus on ourselves, and it, and it can be kind of a hard series in the sense of we talk a lot about uh, mistakes that we've made, things that we've done, etc., and that can put people under condemnation. Well, the, the purpose, let, let me say a couple things about that. First of all, sometimes we need to feel the weight of what we've done, right? We, so, without feeling any pain or, or any sorrow, or any, how do you repent? How do you change? How do you go... How do you go forward? So it's not the end of the world. Oh, well, you're making me feel bad. Well, sometimes we need to feel a little bit bad about what we did so we can change and get better. But on the other side of it, you can't unscramble eggs, right? You can't go back and do... So there's no reason getting too much condemnation over it because you can't go back and change it. So the power in a series like this is, yeah, number one, let's, let's think about what we've done. Let's think about where we've gone wrong. But mostly, let's focus on how to change going forward. And that's the point of it. You know, there, there's no point in coming here and just bashing everybody over the head. We've all made mistakes, right? We've all gone the wrong way. But from this point forward, let's, let's do it God's way. Let's, let's make choices in line with God's word and not uh, just our own selfishness in our own life. Amen? Amen? Okay. And another thing that we really focus on this series is that everything that's happening in your life is your responsibility, and you could say your fault. The other side of that is immediately people start going to, well, there's things happening in my life that wasn't my fault. I understand, and to be honest with you, we could preach a whole series on how to respond to those type of things. We could, I could do a whole sermon series on how to respond to things that happen to you outside of your control, but that's not what this sermon series is about. This sermon series is about looking at your choices because so many times, even though the responsibility falls on us for our choices, all too quickly we want to blame someone, something else other than ourselves. And what I'm asking you to do and what the scripture asks us to do is to examine our life, look at our life, and, and an honest evaluation of our life and go, things that have gone wrong, did I contribute to that? Was that my choices that led to that? Okay, so let's start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. 
Last week, we started talking about sowing and reaping. And this is how the Bible talks about the power of choices. It, it calls it the law of sowing and reaping. You sow a seed, you get a harvest. You sow a kernel of corn, you get a stalk of corn, right? And this is a spiritual principle. It's a natural principle, but it's a, it's a spiritual principle also, the law of sowing and reaping. We read out of Galatians where he says, God's not going to be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's a, that's a fact. It's a law of a spiritual law. That will happen. If you think you're getting something different than what you've sown, like if you say, well, I've sown good seeds, but I'm getting a bad harvest. The Bible says in Galatians then that you're deceived, and if, there, if that were true, God would be being mocked. But God is not mocked. Do you know it's no trouble for God to oversee your life and my life and somebody a thousand miles away, their life, and all seven point however many billion are here, their life, it's no trouble for God. It's as if you're the only person. He has no trouble looking at your life and overseeing your life. It's not hard for God. And the Bible teaches us that when a person begins to participate in this law of sowing and reaping, that he oversees the harvest and he makes sure that what comes to you is what you've sown. He oversees it. And if he didn't, then the Bible said that he would be unjust. Okay, that's the point of Galatians. But let's start in Matthew 6, 1. So Jesus is writing here. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this whole chapter, he goes through a bunch of different things that people can do in public that there's either a reward for or a loss of reward because of how they handled it. So this one he mentions, beware of practicing your righteousness. In other words, beware of being a hypocrite. Beware of, I'm living the Christian life on the, on the public and I come to church and I look a certain way, right? I'm, I'm living a righteous, holy, good, moral life. And he, he uses the word practice, which leads me to think about habits, Meaning it's an ongoing, this is your habit, okay? Beware of habitually living and practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Oh, man. Boy, we could talk about this. We could talk about this. All the things that go on in our world and all the images that we create through social media, the persona that we create, taking pictures, making sure. You know, what they say? Well... If it didn't get posted, did it really happen? You know that? You know, if the vacation, if you didn't get a picture of the vacation, a picture of you down at the, at the charity, you know, helping somebody, serving food, if, you, if they didn't snap a picture of it and put it on Instagram, did it really happen? And this is the, the life we live in, right? We could talk about uh, people that are influential, that they go to help out over here and they get the nice picture and 10 minutes later they're gone, nowhere to be found. They just wanted the snapshot. Why? Because they wanted to create a persona for the world to see. When's the last time you did something and you didn't take a picture of it and you just, you didn't post it on social media and you just did it, you know, just, just to be nice? He talks about this in this passage. I'm not getting off on social media today, all right? Don't, we're not even going there. Don't worry about it. But th that, you see, this, this passage is in conflict with social media in a lot of ways. Because he says, beware of practicing righteousness or good deeds in order to be seen by people. Why do you post it on social media? I can't help it. I'm sorry. I got to go there just for a minute. Why do you post it? So other people can see it. You already knew it was happening. God already knew it was happening. Why are you posting it there? So other people can see it. And this is what he says. 
Be careful about that. Be careful about it, and here's why. He said, because you'll lose your reward. In other words, the only reward you're going to get for that is those people that saw it and had a thought. Here's what they did. They looked at your picture that you posted of how good and awesome you are. They looked at it, and they went, hmm, and they moved on. And he says, that is your reward. That's your reward. But because you had to have that, because you had to have that pat on the back, you had to have that little grunt that they gave, the little raise of the eyebrow, because you just had to have that, that's the only reward you're going to get. He said, you lost your supernatural reward. You lost your spiritual reward because you were seeking the praise and the approval and the appreciation of man when you should have been seeking the praise and approval and appreciation of God. So this is what he says. Let me read it again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He doesn't say you'll have no reward, period. But the only reward you're going to get is from those people, which isn't going to be much. But as far as your heavenly reward, you lost it. Now, this tells us so much about sowing and reaping. I mean, this tells us everything. First of all, Practicing righteousness is a form of sowing seed. And what he's saying is there's a harvest on that kind of life. But there are things you can do to shortcut and circumvent your harvest by the way that you, your heart and the way that you do it. Let's, let's look at a few things from this passage. Okay, number one, let's talk about reward versus free gift. Because when we talk about salvation, we're in, there, we're in the mode of thinking about the free gift of salvation, you know, grace, right? Can't earn it. It's a free gift from God, and that's true. So when you're a Christian, this is the mode you think in a lot is, well, everything that comes from God is a free gift. That's totally incorrect. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Here's what the Bible says. Salvation is a free gift. Everything else is a reward that comes through sowing and reaping. Salvation is a free gift. Go read the Bible. Go read the New Testament. Salvation is a free gift that could not be earned. And the reason that it's a free gift is just because of that. It couldn't be earned. No matter what you did, you could have never earned it. They tried to earn it under the law, but they couldn't earn it. Salvation is a free gift. Even in the epistles, uh, Paul breaks this down. He says, look, if you worked for salvation, it wouldn't be a free gift. right? If, if you had to do enough good deeds and, 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 and work and be holy enough and all of that, we couldn't call it a free gift. That would actually be wages. That would be a reward for what you did. But, but salvation is a free gift. But listen, that's it. <laughs> that's the only free gift. Everything else comes through sowing and reaping. Everything else comes through faith and believing. Even salvation, you could say, is a seed sown because you sow the seed of faith. And you get the harvest of salvation in your life. So yes, praise God for the free gift. But there's a lot of other things in the kingdom of God that are a reward. We know this instinctively. All you have to do is look around because every Christian doesn't have the same life. Every Christian is not experiencing the same rewards. Some, some Christians are having a totally different experience in the Christian life than somebody else. What's the difference? How they apply and live the word of God and what seeds that they're sowing. Listen, if you have a Christian that doesn't ever go to church and they, they, they sit at home and they never read their Bible, they never pray. And then on the other hand, you got a Christian that is in church every Sunday, waking up every morning, reading the Bible, praying, serving God. Is there going to be a difference in their life? Absolutely. Is there potential that they're both saved and on their way to heaven? Yes, because salvation is a free gift. 
but they're going to have two totally different experiences in this life. They're going to have two totally different experiences in this life based on the seeds that they've sown. This is the definition of the word reward. And Jesus, he, he used this word reward. Reward is a thing given in recognition of one's service, effort, or achievement. In a lot of Christian circles, effort is a dirty word. It's like, well, I don't want, you know, I don't have to do anything to get something from God. Listen, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Even for salvation, even for salvation, the Bible talks about works. James talked about, about works connected with salvation, but that's a whole nother, whole nother sermon. We're not going to get into that. But yes, salvation is a free gift. But everything else in your life, God gave you the power to make a decision. To The Bible said, choose life or choose death. When he said it in Deuteronomy, he laid out the law, blessing and cursing. He said, look, let me tell you. If you obey, this is going to be the, the, the dev, if you obey, this is going to be the blessing on your life. It's going to be amazing. He said, you'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not beneath. He said, you'll be blessed. Everyone will call you blessed. You'll be blessed coming in, blessed going out. He said, but if you disobey, these are the consequences that are coming on your life. And at the end of it, he said, you choose. Choose life, choose death. Choose blessing, choose cursing. Cur- cursing. And then he gave them a hint. He said, choose life. It's much better. Did every believer in the Old Testament experience the same thing? No. Did every Christian in the New Testament experience the same thing? No, just ask Ananias and Sapphira. Never mind, we're not going there. (coughs) Oh, y'all forgot about that one. Okay. No, Christians experience different, different things in this life based on the seeds that they sow. I remember early on, having to teach our children this, you know, if you brought your kids to award ceremonies at school and somebody's getting an award that they didn't get and when they're young, you know, they're upset, maybe they start crying, you know, I wanted that, I got that. And boy, how you handle that moment, oh, it's very important. You're training them for the rest of their life. It's very, very important what you say and how you handle that moment because I remember telling our, telling our kids and talking to our kids and saying, you could have that if you wanted You're just as smart as they are. You're just as athletic as they are. The difference is they put in work that you did not put in, and that's okay. That was your choice, but don't get mad when you get the consequence of your choice. You can get that. All you got to do next year is work harder, do do what they did, and you'll get the reward that they got. We learned this very early on. I don't know if this generation learned it because they just give participation trophies away to everybody, but anyway, we're not (laughs) get off on that. But I'm not necessarily against... As long as they're like in preschool or something like that. Okay, anyway. Um, but they, we learn, kids learn this early on, right? You, and even, even in families, you know, you can feel things. Well, that's unfair. You're saying it's unfair because they got something you didn't get. That doesn't make it unfair. It actually might be really fair. Because they may have done all the things to get that and you did nothing. Well, there, there's, the, there's a difference. Actually, that is fair. And it's the same way with God, guys. It's the same way. You know, you, you look at other, well, everything works out for them. They just, you know, everything seems to work out for them. They're just, bless me, I, nothing ever works out for me. Careful what you're saying because really in that statement, there's an accusation somewhere. And, and you're like Cain, blaming, everybody, blaming Abel, blaming God, blaming Adam and Eve. And God is sitting there going, this is very simple. He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? 
He said, however, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door on the other side, waiting to destroy your life. So we have to take responsibility for our choices. I know this is basic. I know a lot of you are going, yeah, okay, I got this. I already, I already know that. But let me just tell you, you have a flesh and a sin nature that is constantly fighting this mentality. Constantly looking for somebody else to blame. And if, if your flesh isn't enough, then Satan will get in your ear too. You, you didn't get a fair shake. God's not listening. God's not been good to you. You're just unlucky. I, you're like Job. I've heard that one too. You're like Job. You know, nothing just works out for you. Everything's bad, you know, for you. God is punished. Look, that in the vast, vast, vast majority of the cases, it goes back to our own choices. And I know that's a lot of responsibility, but it's because God made you like him. God made you in his image. He, he believed in you enough. He knew that you were capable to handle that kind of responsibility as a human being. He gave you the power of choice to destroy your life or to build it in a way that's a blessing. And no matter what you've experienced up to this point, you can change directions this morning. That's the power of it, too. You could have spent the last 20 years destroying your life. And you could this morning decide from this point forward, I'm going a different direction. And in some months and years and over a long period of time, you'll have a different result than what you've been getting this morning. Amen. We're having fun this morning. Praise God. So every Christian is not going to experience the same thing in this life. And many times the difference will simply be what seeds they have sown. Why? Because every choice is a seed. When we walk around all day, we're just casting seed everywhere we go. When we're kind, when we show mercy, when we sin and we in secret, we choose to watch this, we look at this on the internet, we choose to respond in anger. It's just constant seeds being sown. And there will be a harvest on every one. Sometimes it's a very, very small harvest. Very, very small harvest. You know, you, you, get, you get angry about something, you smart off to your wife, you say something, there's going to be a little harvest on that. It might just be small. Depending on the mood they're in, it could be larger. They could go on for days. Or it could just be quick, depending on how saved they are. But every choice is a seed. And we're just constantly casting seeds. And, and there's going to be harvest on that. Every, what we're experiencing this morning is basically we're eating the harvest from seeds sown yesterday and day before. The other thing I noticed from this passage is that there are things you can do to short-circuit your reward. And, and Jesus specifically points to motive, right? The reason why you did it. You practiced righteousness, which was good, but the reason why you did it was bad. You did it to be seen by other people, and the reward evaporated. And all you had left was mankind. So there are things we can do to short-circuit our reward. What's the opposite of what we see in this passage? He says... Practicing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Well, what would be the opposite? The opposite would be practicing righteousness as unto the Lord. Not worrying about if anybody else saw it, anybody else knew about it. You know, that's, and so what happens is you can short-circuit your reward. Look, I'm, probably somebody's going to get mad at me this morning. That's okay. I just got to tell you because I think it's such a good example. There'll be people in the church, and I've been in church my whole life, so I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about every church I've ever been in on staff. I've seen this over and over and over. This happens all the time. I've seen where people have, they give faithfully in tithes and offerings to the church. And every week they put it in a, they put, well, we don't do buckets no more. They put it in the wall. They put it on the, 
online or whatever. But then they have a big offering to give. Then they want to come hand it directly, hand-to-hand to the pastor. Listen, that's the opposite of what this scripture is talking about. Why all of a sudden, because you got a big offering to give, now you got to go give it straight to the pastor? I told you somebody's going to get mad at me. I, but I've seen this in churches. Listen, there's some, because. Let's just deal with reality. There's something in us that wants to be recognized for that. Listen, I, I'm telling you this. Why? Because you're going to lose your reward. You're going to lose your reward. The Bible said don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when it comes to generosity. You don't need to sound a trumpet. Does this sound familiar in this passage if you've read it? You don't need to sound a trumpet and say, look what I'm doing. This is special. Here it is. Don't do that because you know what? You're not giving it to me, certainly, personally. You're not giving it to just the church. You're giving it as unto the Lord. And guess what? No human being needs to know about it. Just give it to God. And the reason that's so important is because he says that's, if you do that, that's the only reward you're going to get. Somebody looking at you saying, ooh, man, generous today, aren't we? And that's it. But there's a supernatural harvest. There's a supernatural harvest on tithes and offerings, on giving. And you don't want to lose that reward. So it's very important. He says, it's good that you practiced righteousness, but the motive is important. So when we sow the seeds in the, in the right seed, we got to do it with the right heart. Now, this is what I want you to know about your God, your Father. He takes... You getting your harvest very personally and very seriously. There's so much talk in the Bible about sowing and reaping. God's a God that he wants his kids blessed. How many of you have kids? You want your kids blessed. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, wealthy, running around rich. I mean blessed in every way. Blessed in your marriage. Blessed in your health. Blessed in your finances. Blessed in your job. He wants us to be blessed and to live this life blessed. Blessing is a big blanket word for, you know, goodness in our life. And God takes you getting your harvest personally. He oversees it to make sure that you get what you've sown. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. He says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. Everybody say unjust. unjust. Okay. God is not unjust as that he would overlook your work. And here's the opposite of that, what he's saying. If he overlooked your work that you'd done, that would be unjust. If you did something kind, you did something good, you, you did something kind for others, you did something for the gospel, for the kingdom, and it just got overlooked and it never got repaid, he said that would be unjust. But God is not unjust. So he said, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. How many of you have shown work and love towards the name of God? Amen. Many of us have. Many of us for decades serving God, serving the people of God. This is what he says. God's not unjust. It, 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 it has not escaped his attention. It has not escaped his eye. Every single thing that you've ever done for God has been recorded. There's not one thing that's ever escaped his attention. When you read in the book of Revelation, this is one way that we, that we know this. When you read in the book of Revelation, there's a, one of the angels has a giant bowl of, of, uh, that, he's, that he's dumping on the altar of fire. And it's just burning up in front of God in this, this smoke. It's this incense that's going up before the Lord. And, the, and it's like God's just breathing it in, taking it in. And it's, it's symbolic. And John knows it's symbolic. And he says, what, what is that that the angel is dumping on the fire? He said, it's the prayers of the saints. There's not a prayer 
not even a prayer that you've ever spoken that hasn't gone up before God. He's never forgot one. He's not like a human being where he forgets stuff, you know, or, or, or like he can't oversee everything. He, he's, he's unlimited in his ability and power to hear every prayer, know every thought. He said he knows all the hair that's on your head or lack thereof. He knows every one. Some of them is real easy to keep track of. I'm, I'm getting shorter and shorter up here myself. But he said he knows every single person. He knows the number of hairs that's on their head. So please understand, that's who you're dealing with. You're dealing with a God that, that knows everything. So it's not hard for him to be aware of every sacrifice you've ever, ever made. For him, for another person, for the kingdom. He knows everyone. Nothing's ever escaped his, his view. And this is what it says. He is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire, uh, this is Hebrews 6, 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. In other words, be completely convinced on this, okay? Don't, don't waver in this, uh, whether or not God is seeing it all and going to repay he said, no, I want you to have full assurance of hope all the way to the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience. Everybody say faith and patience. Because that's the key. That's the key. He talks about this in other places with sowing and reaping. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. You've sown, a, you've sown seed. Now, sometimes it takes time for the harvest to come in. So he said, don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So God's not unjust. There's a, there's a process. Yes, it does take time, but you sow the right seeds and trust God to oversee your harvest. Now, I want to switch gears just a little bit this morning, and I want to ask this question. What kinds of good seed should every Christian be putting in the ground? Because I know we have... Uh, Christians of all different walks, you know, some people maybe only have been saved a few weeks. Some people have been saved for years. And I think this is good for all of us. But this is just kind of a real basic question. Okay, if sowing and reaping is so important, then what are some basic kind of what's the highest priority? What are some good seed that I can get in the ground and that I should be regularly sowing these types of seeds? I want to give you three things that I think are most important. Number one. Seeds of obedience. Seeds of obedience. You just need to obey God's word. If the Bible says it's important to go to church, go to church. If the Bible says it's important to forgive your neighbor, forgive your neighbor. If the Bible says to be generous, be generous. If the Bible says to have a prayer life, start your prayer life. Everything you see in the Bible, everything you read in the Bible, submit to it wholeheartedly and obey. And it's through that life of obedience that you'll see the greatest harvest. Here's where I see people that are disillusioned with the Christian faith. Well, I'm a Christian. I believe. I serve God. But they're half-heartedly obeying. Oh, they go to church, but it's not like the Word says. Oh, they read their Bible every night, but not like the Bible says. Oh, they, you know, they do this and they watch this and they participate in this. And so it's half-hearted. The Bible calls that being lukewarm. It says, no, that, you're half in, half out. You're not going to get the same result as someone who is completely submitted and obeying God's word. You're going to get a different harvest. 
So I'm saying this to help you. If, if you're saying, what can I do? Number one thing you can do as a believer is sow seeds of extreme obedience to God's word. When you see something in God's word that differs from the reality of your life, repent, yield to it, submit to it, and start sowing good seeds in that direction. How many of you have ever been reading the Bible and you came across something and said, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, my life doesn't look anything like that. You have a choice to make. That's what we're talking about. You have a choice to make. You can go, well, I know a lot of other Christians that do it the same way. So, I mean, they seem to be doing fine. You can do that. Or you can say, I don't care what anybody else is doing. The Word of God says this. I'm about to make this change in my life. The harvest on that is hard to calculate. I'm telling you, it is hard to calculate. I cannot emphasize this any stronger than I, than I am this morning. If you want to get the harvest that we've been talking about, number one thing, seeds of obedience. Just obey God. Obey His Word and obey the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. When you go to, when you go to do something, you go to sow a seed, and you get a prompting in here like, ah, I wouldn't do that. This might not be a good idea. Follow it. Obey. Listen to it. Because there's going to be a harvest either way. There's going to be harvest for obedience and there's going to be harvest for disobedience. So you have to begin living a life yielded to God. Realizing my life is not my own. I wasn't put on this planet to build great wealth and build my kingdom and have an easy life, you know, on like a, like a cruise ship. No, you were here as a servant. You're here with a mission. If you're a Christian and you've given your life to God, this is the mentality. I'm here as a servant. I'm here with a mission to accomplish. My life is not my own. If my life is not my own. My, if my life is not my own, then my time is not my own. My money is not my own. My giftings and my talents are not my own. They've all been laid on the altar as a sacrifice and an act of worship to God. I know, we don't, I, I know there are a lot of Christians not living like this. And that's fine. You can, you can join up with them if you want. A lot of people do. But if I could give you one thing as your pastor to say, this is the most important thing you can do to start getting good seeds in the ground. Seeds of obedience. Have a heart to obey. Have a heart that yields to God. As far as I can tell, as far as I've seen, there's nothing more powerful in a person's life than this. As a pastor, I encounter mostly two types of Christians. Those who hear and do. Those who hear and don't do. It's really that simple. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus, he explained this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. In other words, they obey. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. You know he's not talking about building houses, right? He's talking about building lives. He's talking about lives and how they're built. And he said there's certain people's lives that are built on the rock and they go through something and that, how, that life, it stands. It comes out on the other side strong and good. And then there's other people's lives 
that actually their life is just built on the sand. Why? Because they've only been hearing the Word of God, but they've not been obeying the Word of God. So it's a, it's a farce. It's an illusion. It looks like their house is nice and strong, but the wind comes, the rain comes, the storm comes, and it, it falls, it, it, it blows over, it's destroyed because they actually were not founded on the, the rock. This is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, he, he, he explains it really well through this example that the seeds of obedience, how important they are. There will be a harvest either way. That's the point. There will be a harvest either way. And don't forget, God gets involved in the harvest. He will make sure that you get the harvest that aligns with what you've sown. Okay, number two. So number one, what kinds of good seeds should I be sowing? What, sh- what kind of good seeds should every Christian be putting in the ground? Number one, seeds of obedience. Number two, seeds of church involvement. Notice I did not say church attendance. Okay. Seeds of church involvement. The, the creator, the head of the church, Jesus, did not establish the church merely for church attendance. Like just showing up to church and checking the box, I'm here, here you know, sing the songs, hear the word, go home. There's a big difference between church attendance and church involvement. Okay. Or you could say being partnered with your local church. The reason I believe so strongly in the local church is not because I'm a pastor. It's the other way around. The reason I'm a pastor is because of how strongly I believe in the local church. Meaning, I believe that what God is doing on the earth today, that he's primarily doing it through his body, through the church of Jesus Christ. There's not much God is doing outside of the church or like circumventing the church. He uses the church, which is his body, to fulfill his mission. We are his feet, his hands, his mouthpiece. We are the tools that he uses to accomplish his will on this earth. So every believer ought to be plugged into the body of Christ and finding out what is my contribution. Number one, how do I uh, attend and worship and grow from the word and all that? But also, how do I contribute to the local body. It could be very small. Look, imagine if every person in this room is just doing a little, it goes a long way. What, what, but what you have in a lot of churches, and again, I've been in churches my whole life, mostly what you see is 20% of the people are doing 80% of the, the work and the mission. And, and many others are just, you know, spectators. Well, I, I think God has more for you than that. I think God has more for you than that. And again, it doesn't have to be much. Maybe, maybe your gift is, you know, just financial contribution. Maybe your gift is encouragement. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not talking about, because start, you start saying this, people think, oh, I've got to go serve in the kids' ministry. I'm not good with kids, you know. No, no, I'm not saying that. But, but every believer that truly understands what the church is and how valuable it is, they should be regularly Asking God about this, you know, what is my part? What is my involvement? Man, thank God for our musicians on the worship team, you know, sacrificing to give. And man, we come in here having a beautiful worship service. Guys on the camera, media booth, live stream, we team, parking lot, children's church, youth. I probably left somebody out, but on and on. All these things, people are using their gifts every day. It's a little. Some, some of these people, they just, they serve once a month just to help a little bit. And you might think this sounds self-serving, like I'm up here doing this because we're trying to do like a volunteer drive or something. We're not. I'm letting you know how I think and how I've always thought that every believer has something to offer and something to contribute. And 
the perfect model that, that God laid out was that every person was put in the body with a specific gift and they should be using that gift for God. Okay? Even if it's not in the church building, like when I say church involvement, I could also can talk about just the church, meaning not the building, but the body of Christ. How are you contributing to the body of Christ with your gifts and with your salvation that you've received? Faithful church attendance has untold consequences. Okay, I'm going to read this real quick. Ephesians 4, 11. Uh, Paul's laying out kind of the, the process of the church. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which is pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, he may no long, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I know that's a lot of words to say God gave pastors, teachers, etc. to the church so that they would equip the saints so the saints could do the work of the ministry. That's the, that's the process. And he says through that process, all believers will grow into maturity into Christ-likeness when we're following that process. Okay? So... This is when you are coming to church, you're participating in that process. You're hearing something that's supposed to equip you to action, move, move to action. And, you know, one of the blessings that I've experienced as pastoring this church, we're, uh, let's see, August made 12 years that One Life has been around. And one of the cool things that we've been talking about recently, Jen and I and our staff, is how cool it is to see uh, some of the people that were literally just children when they come in this church and now they're graduating high school some of them are getting married which is really weird for me uh, you know we have pictures of kids that like you know they were six when they came here now they're graduating high school and it it's it's interesting but that's such a blessing to us because I know the value of being in one place that long and this may, let's see if I can say this in a way that doesn't sound too self-serving. Like when we first started the church, you have people coming from all different backgrounds, right? People, people from every walk of life, every denomination, every, just all over the place, you know, beginning to slowly gather in one place. And so pastoring that can be a challenge. But then the difference between that and having a whole crop of kids that have been raised in one life for 12 years. And their mindsets are a certain way. They believe the Bible a certain way. They follow the word a certain way. They love God a certain way. They worship a certain way. Like, I'm excited about the next 20 years to see what God's going to do here. Because when, when you have kids that are raised in church one place, and if you're one of those families that you've been here all the way from the beginning, and you've, you know what I'm talking about, like your kids have just been here, and they've got the DNA of this of this church and what God's doing here, that is, I can't wait to see what comes of that. Because the, the difference of how a lot of people came versus what their lives are going to look like, what their families are going to look like, being raised in church like that their whole life, it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting to see the harvest on that. But I, I know the power in church involvement, and that's what we're talking about. If you're wondering, what can I do? What's the simple thing? Number one, sow the seeds of obedience. Number two, sow the seeds of church involvement. Put in, go all in 
Go all in to your church. Not just for you, but for your children. For your children. What's, what is their marriage going to look like and their life going to look like if they're raised to love the church of Jesus Christ? It's going to be a lot different. But you have to make the sacrifice. You, you have to first do it, and then they'll follow. Amen. Finally, last one. I want you to sow the seeds of prayer and devotional life. Now, when I say prayer, probably conjures up a lot of different images and thoughts for people. All I mean when I say prayer is setting aside a specific amount of time for God. Okay? It could be, if you're, an, if you're a morning person, you get up early. If you want to do 10 minutes, you want to do 15 minutes, I don't care how long it is. But you need to have a habit in your life of sowing the seeds of time with God every day. And it needs to be a priority to you, and it needs to be something that's manageable that you can do ongoing. So it can be in the morning, it can be in the evening, it can be on, on your lunch hour. But the seeds of this, again, are hard to calculate. I've been doing this since the time I was 15 years old. I've started praying when I was 15 years old. I would get up every morning. Uh, I would get up every morning at 4.45 in the morning because I had to be at school and other places, and I would spend time with God. And from that day until now, I've been doing that. The times have changed, and not the same times. But I've, I've devoted time to God as a regular part of my life. And nothing else comes before that. I, I, I can't even explain to you the sacrifices that I would make before I sacrificed that. That is a high priority for me. And the, when you get up every day and you spend time with God, you have a devotional and a prayer life... And you do that for year after year after year after year. You're not going to recognize yourself in a couple years. How your mind changes. How you are more like Christ. Your knowledge grows in the word of God. You can have somebody that will do this. They've only been saved a year. They can pass up somebody who's been saved 15 years just because they started doing this every morning. Listening to podcasts, reading books. I've seen people come in just so hungry for God, so hungry for the word. And they start doing this. And it'll pass up people that have been stagnant for the last 15 years, going to church every Sunday, but have no prayer life. You have to sow the seeds of a prayer and a devotional life. It has to be what the Bible calls, you have to go get your daily bread. This is what Jesus talked about when he taught his disciples to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. You go before God every day and you get that daily bread. You, well, I, you say, well, I don't know what to do. The most important thing is set the time aside. Just set the time aside. Look, if you, if you set the time aside to go in a gym every day, you might have no clue what you're doing. But there's some weights there. There's a you know, pull-up bar over here. There's an elliptical over there, you know, treadmill. You'll figure it out eventually. You go, let me, let me play around on this. Let me play around on that. You hang out in the gym long enough, you'll pick it up. <laughs> and prayer's the same way. Yeah, read your Bible. Turn on some worship music. Start to journal. Pray. Lots of things you can do. And you begin to figure out how to connect with God. I promise you, the harvest on those seeds of prayer and having that devotional life will change you. It'll change your future. It'll change the future for your children. It's very, very important. Matthew 6, 5. Jesus talked about this. He said, and when you pray. Notice he did not say, and if you pray. He said, it's understood. You're going to do this, right? You're a Christian. This is what you do. And when you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. He keeps addressing this. It's all, you see what he's really dealing with here? He's dealing with your public life versus your secret life. And he said, there's a lot of people, they, they work so hard to polish their public life, but their secret life is, is a, it's a, it's a hip, it's, it's hypocritical. It's a farce. It's a joke. It's not real. It doesn't match their public life. That's why he keeps addressing this. He said, look, this is what the hypocrites do. They're so good at praying in public. I remember one time I was asked to pray as a senior in high school. I was asked to pray at my uh, graduation, and uh, the principal asked me, would you pray at the the graduation said, sure, yeah, I'll pray. I'm used to praying. I pray all the time. I'm ready. You know? And so the like few days before, she said, well, can I see your prayer? I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean, see my prayer? She's like, well, like you wrote it down, right? You, I said, I don't. I didn't write my prayer down. Well, what are you going to do? I said, what? <laughs> I had just planned on getting up there and praying from my heart. I mean, I, I didn't write it down. She said, well, okay. <laughs> like it was a performance. And a lot of times at those types of things, it is. It's just a performance. It's a public thing. It, it was written and said and all the eloquence and everything. It's not for God. It's for the people. It's because people are listening. And what Jesus was saying is, is that don't pray like that. You know, when I get up here at the service and we pray before or after, I try to just not even think about you. I try to just focus on God. And it may not sound all eloquent and beautiful, but it's not supposed to. It's prayer. But how did prayer transform into that? Well, because of what he's talking about right here. People started praying because they knew people were listening. And they started trying to get all grandiose and theological with it and, you know, adding a little emotion and emphasis here. And he said, look, you're just talking to God. You talk like you normally would talk to a normal human. Don't start using King James language all of a sudden because now you're in public. <laughs> nobody, no, nobody talks like that. No, you, you talk to God just like you talk to other people. I think, it's, I think it's offensive to him when you don't. They say, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. He said, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. This is that theme again. What was their reward? Other people walking by and going, hmm. Kept walking. That was it. That was their reward. He said, but... Look, but I say to you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Can you see the difference? Can you see the difference? They're sowing seeds in secret that nobody knows about, and the rewards are going to be massive because God is saying, nobody saw you, you did it for me, and the rewards are going to be huge. So we see this, this theme, and the whole chapter of Matthew 6 is all about this. The whole chapter of Matthew 6 is all about what you do in public as a Christian versus what you do in private as a Christian. And if all of your Christian life is just a public life, you have a problem. You have an issue that needs to be addressed because you won't last like that. Your foundation is weak. So if you really want to know how to live the Christian life, you've got to sow seeds of a devotional life. You can't just have a public Christian persona. You have to have a private life as a Christian that no one else knows about, except maybe your wife and kids. You've got to have a private life as a Christian where you go before God and you seek Him and you spend time with Him. 
And it's not to impress anybody. It's just to be with God. And I want to encourage you with this. Be committed to it no matter what. Be committed to it no matter what. If you get up and you go, well, I, I was going and I, I don't know what to do and it's, it's boring. and I'm, You will figure it out. I'm telling you, God will meet you there because his word says he will meet you there. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He says, ask and it'll be open. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and it'll be fi- you'll find it. So he, he says, no, if you do this, God will respond. So if you are a new Christian or just an old Christian and wanting to know how to grow, I would focus on this. Since we can put the power of sowing and reaping to work for us, let's make sure we're sowing seeds of obedience, connection, and involvement to a church, and seeds of a devotional life. And if you do that, you're going to see a big harvest in your life, and not just for you but for your family and your kids as well. Amen.